we continue our journey through this book, you know, Job is a man that suffered more than any of us will probably ever suffer. Uh, he suffered the calamity, the health issues, the, the devil came against him, the devil himself toe-to-toe. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about this book, and there's so many lessons that we can learn, but one of the things that I just want to share with you are just off the bat is that no matter what you're going through, you got a future. You know, there was Job, and it was nonstop nonsense that his friends were telling him. The, the devil's a liar, and he'll tell you that, you know, you know, your life is over, that there's nothing good. Just curse God and die. Give up. Split. Quit. But, you know, the, the truth is uh, that Job still had a future. And, you know, no matter what we go through in life, and, you know, you think of the 19-year-old that is in this uh, motorcycle accident, and we don't even know what's going to happen to him. What will the rest of his life be like? I mean, I think of others in this congregation whose, you know, teenager died in the motorcycle accident. I mean, how do they continue to go on? And, you know, you, you think of all the, the tragedies of life, and... You know, the enemy wants to rip off your future. And no matter what it is, it could be the big things. It could be the little things, you know. And so the book of Job, it teaches us that truth. Uh, I pray that you would know that, uh, you know, like when you're in a boxing match, and forgive me for using this illustration, but I was just thinking of it while I was sitting back there. You know, you're in a fight. You're going to get hit. You're like, ooh, I got hit. You know, you're going to get hit. You know, I mean, you expect it. I mean, do you expect God to put like you in this cement canister can where nothing will touch you? You know, you're going to get hit, but you know, you got to be ready for it. You got to be able to take a punch and, and you might even get knocked down. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a fight. I know when I was in wrestling, there were times when they had my back close to the, to the mat, man. And if I wanted to, I could just you know, let go and, and lose, but I just didn't. I would fight with all my strength. And for us, in one sense, that's kind of how life is. I mean, you're going to get hit. It's part of life. It's part of the battle. You know, just uh, keep your eyes on the Lord. And if you do get knocked down, I'm, I promise you this, God will always give you the strength to get back up. Always, no matter what it is. You know, we see that in, in the life of Job. And even though we're, tonight we're going to be hearing the, the crazy, chaotic words of Elihu, who was a fool, nonstop nonsense, telling Job that he didn't have a future, that he was in sin, that that's why he was suffering. And, you know, um, you know we're going to hear the lies of the enemy. But thank God that we have this thing right here, huh? The Bible. Thank God for his word in a land of lies. We have the truth that comforts us and allows us the wisdom that we need and the strength to carry on. Look what we read in Job chapter 32. It says, so these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakal, the Buzite of the family of Ram was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. 
Now because they were years older than he, Elihu waited to speak to Job. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. And so, you know, for those of you who've been following the story, you know that they've been going back and forth, Job and his three friends, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, uh, the three men mentioned in Job chapter 2 and verse 11. And so they couldn't convince Job that he was suffering because of his sin. And so all four guys were now done with the dialogue, including Job. They, they held their ground. They, they held to their position, and there was no more dialogue. And so that's those three guys. That's Job. But somewhere along the line in the story, this young guy named Elihu shows up. Uh, we don't know anything about him other than what we read here in the book of Job. And, 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 and the only other thing that seems to make sense is what we see there in verse 2 if you notice that he's the son of uh, Barakel, the, Bu- the Buzzite. And, and so um, Pastor Chuck Smith pointed out the fact that back in Genesis chapter 22, uh, Nahor, who's the brother of Abraham, had a son named Buzz, Buzz Lightyear. Um, no, I'm just joking, it wasn't Lightyear. His name is Buzz, though. Anyways, from Buzz came the Buzzites. And here we read that Elihu was the son of, of a buzzite. And so all that just to say it gives us some of the time frame to the book of Job. Historically we know it goes back to somewhere around Abraham's time. And so remember it's before the Bible was written and he, this guy Job even though it's before the Bible was written homeboy had a really good grip of what it was to have a relationship with God and to know what was true and and what wasn't and that's very commendable. But, but that's about all we know about Elihu. Uh, his name means, who is my God? And I do wonder that about him. You know, because this guy, uh, he thought he was right on, and he was way off. And so it's a question, who is my God? You know, we might all ask ourselves that question, who is your God? I mean, and there's a lot of things that we can talk about when it comes to that. I know my God is, is, is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's the, the maker, he's holy, he's gracious, and, and he leads my life. Some people, they're their own God. They live their own life. They do whatever they want to do, and they're going to find out one day that it leads to, to nowhere. It leads to, to devastation. Who is your God? Is it the living God? Is it the creator God? Is it the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross? And I'm not just talking about what you say with your mouth, what you write on the piece of paper. I'm talking about what you live in your life. Who is your God? Elihu, I wonder about this guy. You know, when you look at him, he's the youngest of Job's friends found in the book, and therefore he speaks last but he does have a lot to say. And he kind of has a chip on his shoulder when we see him uh, and the things he says. As a matter of fact, here, even in the first five verses, we read about him being angry with Job for, for not giving in. And he was angry with the guys for not having the capacity to change, Job, change Job's mind. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse five, three times you find the word wrath. 
in verses 1 through 5. He was angry, he was angry, he was angry. I mean, this guy had an anger problem. And, you know, let me tell you guys something. How many of you guys here struggle with anger? Just out of curiosity. A lot of you guys do. You you also struggle with lying, but, (laughs) you know, we get mad. And let me tell you guys something. Anger is one letter short of danger. And when you get angry, can I just say this? It's usually not a good time to speak. Amen? Amen. Amen. When you get angry, man, just, you know, (laughs) pray. You know, watch what you say. Here's this guy, he's angry, he's angry, he's angry, and now he's, we're going to see like he just wants to just explode, you know, and that's what ends up happening. I always go back to James 1, 19 through 20. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, um, it's, the way, it's funny how they work together. You get, you get angry, even though you should be slow to be angry, but you get angry because you're, a lot of times we're filled with pride or whatever it, the case is, we just get angry real quick and then we're real quick to speak and then that creates even more anger and it just fuels the fire. So, you know, sometimes when you get angry, you get what you want. But it doesn't really produce anything that's good. You can, you know, demean your kids and you can beat them without loving them and you might get them to sit down and be quiet. But you did nothing good with that wrath. Understand the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And this guy Elihu, he struggled with wrath. And we're going to touch more on this later But here he is um, in in, in verse 6. Notice what we read. So Elihu, the son of Berechel, the Buzzai, answered and said, I I am young in years and you are very old. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but, you know, he's just telling them that. Therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. I said age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men or or old men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. Now, there's a lot of cool little lessons woven in to the big lesson. It's commendable that Elihu has enough sense to allow the older men to speak first. You know, I don't know if that's always the way it should be, but don't you think, how many of you here would say amen, that the younger people need to show more respect to the elderly? Amen? I mean, I think that's so true. All the old people are amen, amen. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, all, we should, it's so important. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that all older men and women are wiser um, but don't just respect them if you feel like they're the, you know, the Solomon of wisdom. No, just respect them because they're older. I mean, I believe they should be shown just respect because of that, you know. I, and there's a lot of things we can talk about, you know. For some of you, maybe your kids are a little bit too old to make some changes, but teach them at a young age to call an older person Mr or Mrs., or or ma'am, or or sir, things like that. Unless that older person gives them the permission, say, no, call me by my first name, 
um, then they respect that. But there's something about even things like that, you know, your teacher, other things that really deserve respect. You know, I think there's something that we uh, struggle with in our nation. You know, I was reading some stories about different nations. One that impressed me a lot is Japan. They have a national holiday called Respect for the Aged Day. It's the third Monday of every September, and it's a national holiday to honor and to show appreciation for the elderly. Check this out. It's a paid holiday from work. Think about that. And traditionally, gifts are given to grandparents after sharing a festive meal for them. Respect for the Aged Day is a far more serious event than what we have in our country called Grandparents' Day. Uh, in small villages over there, the younger people and school children, they dance and they provide entertainment. And there's an attitude that they have that says no elderly person will be left behind. And so the holiday is huge in Japan. You know, I don't know if you knew this, in China and in Singapore, there are laws for the you, for the you who respect the elderly. And there are heavy, heavy fines I think we need to respect them, and God does too. The passage in Leviticus 19.32, it says, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. The Bible says, I am the Lord. Respect them. Respect them. You know, when it got bad and brutal with the Jews, you guys remember that happened, the Babylonians came in and they carried the people away captive and we read the heartache of Lamentations chapter five and verse 12. It says, princes were hung by their hands and elders were not respected. I mean, it's like Jeremiah is saying this is just so bad. I mean, it's almost the equivalent to these guys that are being killed and the elders are not being respected. And so, I don't know, just as a quick side note, hopefully that changes your life. It changes the way you raise your children. It's supposed to modify us. That's what the Bible does. And so even Elihu, this guy who's a fool, knows at least a little bit about respecting the elderly. And so Elihu allows the elderly to speak first. Again, even though they're not always the most wise, because the truth is, and you guys know this, that, that, that wisdom is not naturally acquired through age. You know, in verse 8, we actually see the, the key to wisdom. Uh, notice again what we read there in verse 8. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. You know, I hope and pray that you have a heart and a hunger to be a wise guy. And, and a wise gal, um, sometimes I see uh, marriages uh, crumble. I see uh, guys, you know, lose everything. They had a calling on their life. But what ended up happening is they were a fool. Fool. Because they lack wisdom. I thank God for his word. I thank God for the spirit of God. I thank God for the breath of the Almighty that can make any man, I don't care what your IQ is or what your past is, from this day forward, he can grant you wisdom. It's the skill of living life. It's the application of the Bible. There's a lot of people, they have a lot of Bible knowledge, 
But if you really check out their life, you go to their house, you watch the way they live, in all reality, they lack wisdom. And that's why it's so important for us to be filled with the Spirit and say, Lord, really, truly teach me your word. You know, Elihu, he thinks he has wisdom. As a matter of fact, he thinks he has a lot of it, but he, he doesn't. Look at verse 10. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I also will declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words. Lest you say, we have found wisdom, God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him, Elihu says, with your words, that's for sure. And so basically here we see Elihu says, you guys couldn't do it. Now again, it's a younger guy, who knows how old he is, you know, I don't know, maybe in his 20s, maybe in his 30s, he's talking to these guys, maybe they're in their 60s, maybe in their 70s, uh, we think Job was probably in his 70s. So anyways, you know, he says, you guys, you couldn't do it. I waited and I listened to everything you said, man, I heard all your words, I paid close attention and you did not have the capacity to convince him of his sin. And, and what he's doing now is he's demeaning them. And we're going to see that even more as we go through. You know, verse 13 and 14, when you read it, the New Kings, King James, it's a little difficult to understand. The NLT says, and don't tell me he's, he's too wise for us, you know, that only God can convince him. You know, if Job, Elihu says, if Job had, Job had been arguing with me, I wouldn't answer him with your kind of logic. And so this guy really thinks he's hot stuff. You know, he thinks he's, you know, Mr. Wisdom, and, and he just continues to belittle them. Look at verse 15. He says, they are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent or opening. It's ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. And, and, and basically, Elihu sits there and he says, man, you guys... You know, you sit there baffled, you have nothing to say. I can't believe it. I mean, I waited as long as I could, but now I just can't wait any longer. Now that there's this moment of silence, I, I, I feel like I'm about to explode with what I want to say. I, I can't hold it in. And so as we go through the story, Elihu ends up just being a jerk, a fool, and is chronicled in the Bible. Who knows, maybe he got saved. One day we'll see him in heaven and we'll say, man, you messed up, man. I don't know, maybe he's in hell, only God knows. But I mean, you, you know, sometimes, I, here's a real quick lesson for us. Sometimes we feel like Elihu. We, 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 like we, we have to say something. I have to say something. 
You know, we feel sometimes that if we don't, we're going to explode. Unless we speak immediately, you know, I just, I just can't hold it in. And, and, and believe you me, again, I've been there many times. As a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I was there, and I, and I heard something that, that someone said about me, and I just wanted to just go and, you know, and just say, what's up? I don't get this. And I was just, I wanted to explode, kind of. And then the Lord said, you know what? Just leave it. Don't say anything. Leave it in my hands. I'll take care of it. But at the moment, I just wanted to, I wanted to explode. I wanted to say something. Haven't you learned? I've learned to really to pray about that, you know? When you feel like you've got to say something, you might want to take a couple of steps back. And you might want to get on your knees and just wait on the Lord and, and, and do your best to make sure that the words you speak are according to his will. Because I tell you what, I fear God. I fear God, and I don't want a word to come out of my mouth that's not pleasing to him. You can ask my wife. There is no gossip in our house. Every once in a while, she'll try. No, I'm just joking. I am just joking. (laughs) You know, know, I'm just messing with you. We've learned. She knows. We know the way it is in in our house. We don't talk about people. We don't talk bad about people. You know, I mean, we just can't. And so, you know, here's Elihu. He feels like he's going to explode unless he says something. And, and unfortunately, he does. Let me just tell you guys, before you speak, you know, think twice and pray to the Lord. Pray about it. You guys know the Psalms, right? Psalms 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth, it's a prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, how much heartache would we avoid if only we wouldn't say the things that we say sometimes, right? So you pray, Lord, let it be pleasing to you, not just the words, but even the meditation of my heart. There's another prayer in Psalm 14, verse 13. It's a great prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. You keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, Elihu was mistaken in thinking that he couldn't hold it in. I just can't hold it in. You know, he should have held it in because homeboy was, was wrong. You know, without a doubt, he thought too highly of himself. And you guys can see it in the text, huh? As I'm about to speak, let me tell you, I will not show partiality and I'm, I'm not about to flatter. I don't know how to do that. And, and God will not be pleased if I flatter. He's all saying all these things. And, and, you know, and sometimes you do get these younger guys who are wise. Right? There are some young guys that are wise. It's possible. As the Spirit of God plants the Word of God in the young person, right? But, but we're going to see in his case that Elihu was not wise. He does write and waiting to speak, but that's about it. He approaches these older men without any humility. And, and you know, here's the thing. Even if you did think that an older person or maybe your boss or someone, you know, did something wrong, uh, don't belittle them. You know, don't demean them. As a matter of fact, I don't think we should demean anybody. We shouldn't demean those who are older than us. We shouldn't demean those who are younger than us. We shouldn't be that way with people. 
but especially the elderly. Paul, in writing to Timothy, who was considered to be a young pastor, in those days, he said in 1 Timothy 5.1, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. And so the context there undoubtedly is about correction and teaching. So you're in a situation, you've got an older gentleman, maybe he's done something wrong. Do you go in there and lay it on him? No, you respect him, right? I mean, you know, Paul just teaches Timothy to make sure he doesn't do the correction or the teaching in a demeaning way. As a matter of fact, he says, when you do have to do that, do it in an encouraging way. That's the way we should speak to people, especially the elderly. How many of you here know the importance of tone of voice? Tone of voice is important, huh? The way you say things. And so, you know, ask yourself when you're talking to people, is God okay with the content? Is God okay with the way that you're speaking to this person? Because the Bible says that one day we will give an account of every idle word. And so be very careful. You know, again, even if he were right about how these three friends had failed and about Job, Elihu, he lacked wisdom in his approach and exposed his foolish immaturity. And so in verse 1 of 33, but, but please, Job, hear my words and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth. My tongue speaks in my mouth. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> You know, my words come from my upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. If you can answer me, set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Truly, I am as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. What's he doing right here? He's trying to set Job up, huh? I'm just a human like you. Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. But listen, you need to listen to everything I'm saying. Let me, just, let me just tell you guys this. This is the final authority, the word of God. And, you know, someone might come to you and they might say they got all the answers. That's cool. You can say whatever you want. Does it line up with this? Not only that, you know, sometimes people will come and they think that they're the Holy Spirit. And they, they can see, you know, your, 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 your sin. But here's the, the problem. What they might perceive to be a stain might actually be a, a pain, a, a scar. And if you were to shine the light of the Lord on it, they're judging you, and yet they don't know the whole story. They don't know what's going down. They don't know what that gal, well, she doesn't got it together as much as I do. Yeah, but do you know what she went through growing up? Do you know how she's wired? Do you know everything about her? Be careful. You know, Pastor Romain used to say, whenever you're pointing at someone, you got three pointing right back at you. So, you know, that's what Elihu ends up doing. And he's setting Job up because he wants to, you know, Make sure that he listens to everything he says. And again, Lee even said that. Listen to all my words. They come from an upright heart. It's pure knowledge. Imagine, even I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Hey, I'm telling you pure knowledge. Listen, I mean, I could read this. That's Buddha knowledge right there. <laughs> but this guy thinks he's pretty good. You know, verse 4 is interesting again. Look at verse 4. Um, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. 
And, and I just, I don't know. And, and looking at this whole guy right here, I wonder if he's claiming that exclusively for himself. You know, the Spirit of God made me, put me, I'm, you know, I'm the Spirit, and I'm, I'm the judge. It's almost like Elihu is saying he's the prodigy. I'll bet you almost anything he had a good following that for whatever reason put him up on that pedestal and make him feel that way. Now he's thinking he's, he's the man. You know, I've met people who think they are the standard. They are the standard, and they have this special spiritual insight, insight in there, and they're almost flabbergasted how the rest of the church doesn't meet up to their standards. You know, be careful with people like that. Elihu thinks he's wiser than Job, and he even wants to be a spokesman before God. He said, don't worry, uh, Job, trust me. I got this. I'll set you straight. You know, but don't worry, I'm not going to be too hard on you. So he finally begins to present his case to Job in verse 8. He says, Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words, saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. That's not what Job said, but that's what this guy says Job said. And verse 10, Yet he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words, for God may speak in one way or another. Yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon man while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. And so Elihu begins this section by claiming to be a good listener, which is important if you're going to give counsel and correction to others. And then what he does, and for those of you who do counseling or you're trying to figure out a situation that's heavy, you know, you do re ask them, okay, well, is this what you said? You said this, right? That's what he's doing with Job, right? He repeats Job's words, which is a good thing, but he didn't do it accurately, right? Job never claimed to be sinless. He didn't. And yet that's what Elihu said in verse uh, and, uh, 8, verse 9. And then Job just knew what, what, what Job's mentality was that he, that he wasn't going through everything he was going through because of his sin. That's all he was saying. He didn't say I'm sinless. He just said what I'm experiencing, I just, you know what, I don't think it's because I'm in sin. Now, for those of you here, um, sometimes people say I'm Job. I hear people telling me that I'm Job. I'm going through the trials I'm going through because I'm Job. I don't know if I ever met a Job, to be honest with you, man. A lot of us here, we're getting disciplined by God. You know, God is going to deal with us because he loves us. But I'm not going to be the one to go up to you and tell you, hey, man, you know, the reason that your child died is because you're in sin. You know, I mean, people, when they have the audacity to do stuff like that, you know, they make themselves out to be God. Be very careful because that's not always the case. Sometimes people do get disciplined, but 
you know, you got to let the Lord be their father. And, you know, there might be times where God might lead you to, to just uh, encourage someone. Hey, let's search our hearts. Let's confess our sins. God does things like that. But be careful that you don't end up being like the three friends, the four friends, really, who were wrong about Job. You know, Job didn't say he was sinless. He just said, I'm not going through what I'm going through because of my sin. And he was right. In verse 12, Elihu says to Job, you know, you're off, and I'll tell you why. Because in all reality, you shouldn't even be wondering about what you're going through. You shouldn't. You shouldn't contend with God. God is greater than men. Why would you contend with him? Why would you even question him at all? Okay, so now we're, we get into some pretty interesting territory. You know, let me talk about that just for a second. You know, Job lost all his kids. They all died in one day. You know, if all these tragedies happened in my life, if I lost everything, especially out of everything, my family is the most dear to me. You know, you can take the ministry from me and, you know, that would be hard, but that's okay. And you can take my health from me. That's, you know, that might be hard. That's okay. You can take my wealth from me. That's not really, you know, but when you take my family from me, you know, and they all would die. I mean, if I went through that, let's just say God stripped me of everything, ministry, property, family, and I'm lying there in ICU facing nothing but death. I'm lying there facing nothing but death, and there I'm lying and I'm searching my heart, and I, and I can just honestly say that prior to all these things taking place, man, I have been seeking God with all my heart, man. I, I know what he's called me to do in prayer, and I've been doing that. I know what he calls me to do in reading his word and, and doing the best I can to love my family and love the people And there I am, and all these things happen to me, and I'm searching my heart, and I'm thinking, you know what, Lord? I've been seeking you with everything that I am. You know, I don't know how I would be there. You know, if I lost everything, and I'm there thinking, I might not wonder at all. Some of you guys here, maybe you're mature enough, and you might just say, you know, I I worship, I trust God. I have the Bible truths from Genesis to Revelation, you know, I have Christ, my Redeemer, and I'm just, you know, I'm fine. And you got a big smile on your face. Who knows? Maybe I'll, I would do that. Maybe you would do that. But, but here's the thing. If I was in that spot and I did wonder, and I was just talking to the Lord and it said something like, Lord, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it. I love you. And I've tried serving you with all my heart. And all these things are happening to me. I don't get it. You want to know something? God's okay with that. God's okay with that. I believe he is, as long as we don't lose faith, as long as we don't lose heart, as long as we don't quit, as long as we don't split, God's okay with us sharing our our burdens and our hurts with him. You know, even the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, when he was there, remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
You know, some people might look at his statement on the cross and say, well, the only reason he said that was to point to Psalm 22, and that's not the case. You know, he meant what he said. He questioned. He contended. It showed his heart. It showed his separation. It showed his humanity. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. All the hurts that we have, that's why we have the Psalms of David who suffered Many bouts of the ups and downs of life. He lost his wife. He lost his family. He was supposed to be king and they kicked him out. I mean, so many things happened to him. Many bouts with depression. I think they're there so that we can read them and relate to them. You know, the most important thing here's about the hard times and we're all going to go through them one day is that we run to God. Run to God constantly. Run to God honestly And it's there in those spots of suffering, honestly running to God, that we develop intimacy with God. You guys know how it is. If you ever go through a hard time in your life, if you ever do, and you're there at the end of your rope, and then, you know, there comes a friend to help you through that valley, then that friend is a friend for life. And that's the way it is with the Lord. Because you know, when you go through the valley, whatever it is, he will always be there for you. Sometimes you don't know he's all you need until he's all you have. But he is all you need. And then as he carries you through that valley, you will be tight with the one who helped you through. You know, Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saved such as has a contrite spirit. Psalm 147, verse 3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so, as He binds our wounds, I don't know if you can visualize that. Can you visualize, like, let's just say you got a major cut and you're there in, you know, Cambodia or whatever and there's no doctors around or whatever. You know, and someone comes up to you and they just, oh, are you okay? And then they bring up and they start sewing it up for you or something like that. Wouldn't you admit there'd be a special bond between you and that person? And you come back to church and it was one of the people that, man, hey, that's the one who saved my life. You know, that's kind of how it works. You know, he binds up our wounds so that he can bind us to himself. You know, another thing Elihu says here is, Job, you're wrong by saying God is silent. You know, that's what Elihu says. You know, Job's saying, I'm going through all this and I can't really hear the voice of God. And Elihu says, man, you're off. God is always speaking. That's what he says in verse 15 and 16, you know, in a dream, in a vision. You know, God's always speaking. You're just not listening. And, and you know, in verse 17 and 18, Elihu basically says, I'm sure God warned you before all this calamity took place. He always does to save life. And, and God, and, and basically, God didn't speak really to Job until chapter 38. So be careful, you, with all your Christian cliches. Because every single person is the work of God. Who are you to judge another man's servant? We got to be really careful. 
We really need to approach these things with wisdom. Jesus said, you look at that person over there and you're like, I want to take out your speck. And he says, you got a beam in your own eye. So this is all I ask. Take out your own beam so that you can help your brother with the speck in his eye. See, Job's four friends, they didn't, they didn't do that. They were just using the common counseling cliches. And so, let's finish, you guys, because I'm so far behind. Look at verse 19. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight and his bones stick out, which once were not seen. Yet his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. You know, this is what Elihu is saying that Job is going through. There you are, and God is the one that's doing this to you. All the the pain deep inside your body. You're just skin and bones. You don't even appreciate eating food anymore. But but you know, God, he's dealing with you, and he's going to keep you from dying. Look what he says. If there's a messenger for him a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his, God's uprightness, then he is gracious to him. What is Elihu saying there? He's saying, I'm the man. Job, you're the guy that's there, you're you know, skin and bones, and you're you know, about to die, but I, I'm like an angel. <laughs> and I'm coming to save you and deliver you from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. This guy gets all excited, and then his flesh shall be young like a child, and he shall return to the day of his youth and he shall pray to God and he will delight in him and he shall see his face with joy for he stores man to his righteousness. And he's basically saying, you know, the, the way that God works is he always heals. If you get right, he always heals. But that's not true. First John five fourteen, it's according to his will. You know, look what he says right here in verse 27, then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted and, and what was right and it did not profit me. See, he's trying to bring Job to that place. Let me come in, let me rescue you, I'm the answer. And then when you get better and all this, you know, gets, you know, God's blessing, then you're, you know, you're gonna repent and you're gonna admit and you're gonna say it even to men that, that, that you've sinned. That's what he thinks is going on. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit and his life shall see the light. Real quick, you guys, does God always make it better? You're like, Lord, I can't, you know, I'm a Christian. I I signed up for an easy life. (laughs) You know, and, and this sickness or this thorn in the flesh, Maybe a person. You know, these things, I I don't like it. And all I know is that that's not always the way it it works. Sometimes God heals, but not always. You know, when Trophimus was left there sick, when Timothy had his stomach problems, when Paul had a thorn in the flesh, he prayed three times, Lord, take it away. And God said, no, you're going to have to hang on to it because it's keeping you humble. 
And so right here, this guy, the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine of all those guys that you see on TV, that's not right. Just because you serve the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're going to have a trial-free life, that everything's going to go smooth. No, we live in a fallen world, fallen bodies, fighting fallen angels. We don't believe in the theology of those guys on TV. But this guy, Elihu, does. And man, he thinks he is the wisest guy and the best thing since sliced bread. Look what we read in verse 31. He says, give ear, Job, listen to me. Hold your peace and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Hold your peace and I will teach you wisdom. I almost want to skip the rest of his words, to be honest with you. But thank God there's some little lessons woven in there. There's a proverb, and let's close with this. It says in Proverbs 26, 12, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You see, this is what gives us wisdom. The word of God. Today I was talking to a girl at Starbucks I forgot to tell my wife, don't worry, babe, she wasn't, you know, a young girl. She was an older lady, <laughs> really, really old, I think in her 80s or something, and so I'm not just joking. <laughs> and, uh, and she was telling me she was raised, you know, by a Muslim and a Christian, and, uh, and uh, you know, she, she was just, you know, sharing that information with me, man. And so I was just trying to tell her, I said, you know, I know there's a lot of different things that the world is saying and people, you know, they have their opinions. But, but this is the final authority right here. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what the Bible says. I told her Muhammad died and he stayed in the grave. Jesus died and rose again. Muhammad was violent. Jesus did nothing but love and die. And I told her he died for your sins on a cross. And all we have to do is place our faith in him and then we'll be saved. You know, some people look at that, you mean to tell me going to heaven is a free gift, that his blood washes away my sins, that all I have to do is place my faith in him and I'm gonna go to heaven even though I've done all these crazy things? Yes. And you know what the Bible says? To the Jews, it was a stumbling block, the religious person. To the Greeks, it was foolishness because they're all filled with their philosophies and worldly wisdom. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. You see, it's his wisdom that gives us life. And so I pray, you guys, that we would just take these things to heart and just in case there's anyone here who doesn't know that truth for their own life, that God loves you, he died for you, he wants you to go to heaven with him, that today, man, every heart here would surrender and give your life to Christ.